I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah, eh, you've reached Leaves of Glen, uh, where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, uh, I'm picking up The New Year by reading David Copperfield by Charles Dickens, a book I've always meant to read and uh, started but never finished. So I'll do it here with you. Uh, It's the eighth novel by Charles Dickens, first published as a serial in 1849 through 1850 and as a book in 1850 and is widely considered his most popular work. Uh, The alternate title of this book was uh, The Personal History, Adventures, Experience, and Observation of David Copperfield, the Younger of Blunderstone Rookery, which he never meant to publish on any account. That was actually the title. It's it's like funny to say with a friend as a joke, but then when you actually try to do it, uh, it's just ridiculous. Um... A little bit about the author. Charles Dickens was born on the 7th of February, 1812, and died the 9th of June, uh, 1870. He was an English writer and social critic. He created some of the world's best-known fictional characters and is regarded by many as the greatest novelist of the Victorian era. His works enjoyed unprecedented popularity uh, during his lifetime, and by the 20th century, critics and scholars had recognized him as a literary genius. His novels and short stories are still widely read today. A couple of fun facts. Uh, Not really fun. I just found a website that has facts about his life. Uh, In July of 1848, Dickens' sister Fanny is terminally ill. That's not a fun fact. Uh, Fanny dies in September of 1848. That's not a fun fact. Uh, The Haunted Man, his last Christmas book is published in December of 1848. Yeah, it's a little more lighthearted than the last two. In January of 1849, uh, Dickens begins to write David Copperfield, and his son, Henry Fielding Dickens, is born. In August, I just burped. 1850, daughter Dora Ann Dickens is born. Uh, she's named after Dora in David Copperfield. Seems weird. Naming one of your living children after a character you made up in a book. wonder if uh, Dickens has some kind of god complex. Uh, beyond that, I got nothing besides just being around kids and uh, sitting in the house and staring down the face of unemployment. And unemployment is winning. But, in either case, uh... What do you do to stay sane when you're in the house all the time? Ah, uh, you go out and walk. That's one thing you can do. Uh, but since it's the middle of winter here, uh, usually roughly around like 10 degrees outside, I uh, decide to suit up and start walking in the snow. This is something I think I've talked about previously. And uh, I call myself Glenn Snowwalker. <laughs> and uh, 
It's weird. I haven't walked in the freezing cold for long periods of time since I was a since I was a teenager and uh, didn't have a car. I would have to walk to a friend's house. So it's kind of weird to experience that again as a grown a grown man uh, in his late forties. Uh, there's a a weird psychology that goes with uh, being out in public, uh, also being solitary while out in public. Uh, is that you start to notice, since you can't interact with people directly by saying, hi, how are you doing, and get to know them, you start to really look into uh, how they react to you. And I have some big old army jacket my daughter picked out for me, and uh, boots, and whatever, pants, and then a dumb hat and everything. And I look kind of scary, kind of like a thug or a homeless person. And I think people react to it. So I recently had to go out and buy a more middle-aged suburban dad jacket just so I look less threatening. And I'm telling you, I'm not making this up, there's a huge difference. People suddenly like smile at me when I walk by where before they just kind of avoided me. Oh, thank God. Now it's time to move on to the story and uh, see if I still have the ability to read out loud after I took a week off. Chapter 1, I am born. Whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life, or whether that station shall be held by anybody else, ah, these pages must show. To begin my life, with the beginning of my life, I record that I was born, as I have been informed and believe, uh, on a a Friday at 12 o'clock at night. And it was remarked that the clock began to strike, and I began to cry simultaneously. In consideration of the day and hour of my birth, uh, it was declared by the nurse and by some sage women in the neighborhood who had taken a a lively interest in me several months before there was any possibility of our becoming personally acquainted at first that I was uh, destined to be unlucky in life and secondly that I was privileged to see ghosts and spirits. Both these gifts inevitably attaching, as they believed, to all unlucky infants of either gender born toward the small hours on a Friday night. That was huge and without a period. It's going to be one of those books. Tons of commas. I'm going to run out of breath. I need uh, to say nothing here on the first head because nothing can show better than my history, whether that prediction was verified or falsified by the result. Period. Now, that was nice. That was a short one. On the second branch of the question, I will only remark that unless I ran through that part of my inheritance while I was still a baby, I have not yet come into it. Uh, but I do not at all complain of having been kept out of this property, and if anybody else should be in the present enjoyment of it, uh, it is hardly welcome to keep it. I was born with a call. Oh, what is that? I vaguely, I feel like I should know what that is. Uh, a membrane enclosing the fetus. Uh, part of this membrane occasionally found on a child's head at birth uh, thought to bring good luck. Oh, well, there you go. Which was advertised for sale in the newspapers at the low price of 15 guineas. Uh, whether seagoing people were short of money about that time or were short of the faith and preferred cork jackets, I don't know. All I know is uh, that there was but one solitary bidding, and that was from an attorney connected with the Bill Brooking business. 
who offered uh, two pounds in cash and the balance in sherry, but declined to be guaranteed from drowning on any higher bargain. Consequently, the advertisement was withdrawn at a dead loss, uh, for as to sherry, my poor mother's own sherry was in the market, and then, uh, ten years afterwards, the call was put up in a raffle down in our part of the country at uh, 50 members at half a crown ahead, and the winner to spend five shillings. I was present myself, and I remember to have felt quite uncomfortable and confused uh, at a part of myself being disposed of in that way. The call was won, uh, I recollect, by an old lady with a hand basket, who very reluctantly produced from it the stipulated five shillings uh, in all halfpence and two pence halfpenny short, uh, as it took in an immense time, a uh, great waste of arithmetic, to endeavor without any effect to prove to her. It was a fact that we will long be remembered as remarkable down there uh, that she was never drowned, uh, but died triumphantly in bed uh, at 92. I have understood that it was to the last her proudest boast that she never had been on the water in her life except uh, upon a bridge, and that, over tea, to which she was extremely partial, uh, she to last expressed her indignation at the impiety of the mariners and others who had the presumption to go, quote, meandering about the world. It was in vain to represent to her that some uh, conveniences, tea perhaps included, resulted from this objectionable practice, as uh, she has always returned with greater emphasis and with an instinctive knowledge of the strength of her objection, uh, let us have no meandering. Period. Oh, my God, that was a long one. <sighs> Not to meander myself, at present, I will go back to my birth. <clears throat> I was born at Blunderstone in Suffolk, or thereby, as they say in Scotland. I was a posthumous child. My father's eyes had closed upon the light of this world six months when mine opened upon it. There is something strange to me even now in the reflection that he never saw me, and something stranger yet in the shadow of remembrance that I have of my first childish associations with his white gravestone in the churchyard, and of the ineffable compassion I used to feel for it lying out alone there in the dark night. What? Just hung out by a grave at night? Uh, when our little parlor was warm and bright with fire and candle, and the doors of our house were almost cruelly, it seemed to be sometimes bolted and locked against it. And on to my father's, and consequently a great aunt of mine, of whom I shall have more to relate by and by, was the principal magnet of our family, uh, Miss Trotwood, or Miss Betsy, as my poor mother always called her, when she was sufficiently overcame by the dread of this formidable personage to mention her at all, which was seldom, uh, had been married to a husband younger than herself, who was very handsome, eh, except in the uh, sense of the homely adage, handsome is that handsome does. For he was strongly suspected of having beaten Miss Betsy, and even of having once, on a disputed question of supplies, made some hasty but determined arrangements to throw her out of a two-pair-of-stairs window. Uh, these evidences of the incompatibility of temper introduced Miss Betsy to pay him off, and in effect a separation by mutual consent. He went to India with his capital, and therefore, according to a wild legend in our family, he was once seen riding on an elephant in company with a baboon. But I think it must have been a, a baboo or a begum. Anyhow, 
From India, tidings of his death reached home within ten years. Oh, how they affected my aunt, nobody knew. For immediately upon the separation, she took her maiden name again, brought a cottage in a hamlet on the seacoast a long way off, established herself there as a, as a single woman, ah, with one servant, and was understood to live secluded ever afterwards in an inflexible retirement. Uh, my father had once been a favorite of hers, I believe, but she was mortally affronted by his marriage uh, on the ground that my mother was a, quote, waxed all. Burp. She had never seen my mother, but she knew her to be not yet twenty. My father and Miss Betsy uh, never met again. Uh, he was double my mother's age when he married, but, uh, but a delicate constitution. Uh, he died a year afterwards, and, as I have said, six months before I came into the world. Now, this is the state of matters. On the afternoon of, uh, which I may be excused for calling that eventful and important Friday, I can make no claim, therefore, to have known at the time how matters stood or to have any remembrance founded on the evidence of my own senses of what follows. My mother was sitting by the fire, but poorly in health, and very low in spirits, looking at it through her tears and desponding heavily about herself, and the fatherless little stranger, who uh, was already welcomed by some grosses of prophetic pins, in a drawer upstairs to a world not at all excited on the subject of his arrival. My mother, I say, was, was, sitting, was sitting by the fire that bright, windy March afternoon, very uh, uh, timid and sad, and very doubtful of ever coming alive out of the trial that was before her, when, uh, when lifting her eyes as she dried them to the window opposite, she saw... Uh, a strange lady coming up the garden. Yeah, my mother had a sure foreboding at the second glance that it was Miss Betsy. Yeah. And a setting sun was uh, ugh, glowing on the strange lady. And over the garden fence, she came walking up to the door with a foul rigidity of figure and composure and countenance that could have belonged to, to, to nobody else. When she reached the house, Ash gave another proof of her identity, my father had often hinted uh, that she seldom conducted herself like any ordinary Christian, and now, instead of ringing the bell, uh, she came and looked in at that identical window, uh, pressing the end of her nose against the glass to that extent, uh, that my poor dear mother used to say it became perfectly flat uh, and white in a moment. Uh, she gave my mother such a turn that I have always been convinced that I am indebted to Miss Betsy for having been born on a Friday. Ah, my mother had uh, left her chair in her agitation and gone behind it in the corner. And Miss Betsy, looking around the room, slowly and quietly, began on the other side and uh, carried her eyes on, like a saccharine's head in a Dutch clock, until they reached my mother, uh, who was uh, accustomed to be obeyed, uh, to come and open the door. Ah, my mother went. Miss David Copperfield, I think, said Miss Betsy, the emphasis referring perhaps... Uh, to my mother's morning weeds, uh, and her condition. Uh, yes, said my mother faintly. Uh, uh, Miss Trotwood, said the visitor. Uh, You've heard of her, I dare say. Uh, my mother answered that she had that pleasure, and she had a disagreeable countenance of not appearing to imply that it had been an overpowering pleasure. Uh, uh, nice here, said Miss Betsy. My mother bent her head and begged her to walk in. Uh, they went into the parlor, and my mother had come from. The fire in the best room on the other side of the passage, uh, not being lighted, not having been lighted, indeed, since my father's funeral. 
And when they were both seated, Miss Betsy said nothing. And my mother, after vainly trying to restrain herself, began to cry, Ah, ah, tut, 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 uh, said Miss Betsy in a hurry. Yeah, don't do that. Come, come. My mother couldn't help it. Notwithstanding, so she cried until she had had her cry out. Yeah, take off your cap, child, said Miss Betsy. Let, let me see you. Uh, my mother was too much afraid of her to refuse compliance with this odd request. If she had any disposition to do so, therefore she did as she was told, and did it with such nervous hands that her hair, which was luxuriant and beautiful, fell about her face. Oh, I bless my heart, exclaimed Miss Betsy. You are a very baby. My mother was... No doubt unusually youthful in appearance, even for uh, for her years, as she hung her head as if it were her fault, poor thing, and she said, sobbing, that indeed she was afraid she was but a childish widow and would be but a childish mother if she lived. And a short pause, uh, which ensued, she had a, a fancy that she felt Miss Betsy touch, touch her hair, and that in no ungentle hand, but looking at her in her timid hope, she found that lady sitting with her skirt of her dress tucked up, uh, her hands folded on one knee, and her feet upon the fender, frowning at the fire. Ah, in the name of heaven, said Miss Betsy suddenly, uh, why rookery? Uh, do you mean the house, ma'am? asked my mother. Uh, why rookery? said Miss Betsy. Cookery would have been more to the purpose if you had had any practical ideas of your life, either of you. Uh, the name was Mr. Copperfield's choice, returned my mother. When he bought the house, he liked to think that there were rooks about it. Nah. Well, the evening wind made such a disturbance just now, among some tall old elm trees at the bottom of the garden, that neither my mother nor Miss Betsy could forbear glancing that way, as the elms bent to one another like giants uh, who were whispering secrets and after a few seconds of such repose, uh, fell into a violent flurry, tossing uh, their wild arms about as if their late confidences were really too wicked for their peace of mind. Some weather-beaten, ragged old rooks' nests, burdening their higher branches, swung like wrecks upon a stormy sea. Burp. Hey, where, where are the birds? asked Miss Betsy. The, my mother, had been thinking of something else. The rooks. Uh, what's become of them? asked Miss Betsy. No, there not been any since we, uh, since we lived here, said my mother. We thought, Mr. Copperfield thought, as a, quite, quite, a, quite a large rookery. But the nests were very old ones, and the birds have deserted them a long time ago. Ah, Mr. David Copperfield all over, cried Miss Betsy. David Copperfield, from, from head to foot, calls a house a rookery when there's not a, not a rook near it. And he takes the birds on trust, ah, because he, because he sees the nests. Mr. Copperfield, returned my mother, is dead. And if you dare to speak unkindly of him to me, oh, my poor dear mother, I suppose, had some momentary intention of committing an assault and battery upon my aunt, who could easily have settled with her in one hand, even if my mother had been in far better training for such an encounter than she was that evening. But it passed with the action of rising from her chair, and she sat down again, uh, very meekly, and fainted. Well, when she came to herself, or when Miss Betsy had restored her, whichever it was, uh, she found the latter standing at the window. Uh, the twilight was, by this time, 
shading down into darkness, and dimly as they saw each other, they could not have done that without the aid of fire. Well, said Miss Betsy, coming back to her chair as if she had been taking a casual look at the prospect, and when do you expect... I am all in a tremble, faltered my mother. I don't know what's the matter. I shall die, I'm sure. Oh, no, no, said Miss Betsy. Have some tea. Oh, dear me, dear me. Do you, th- do you think it'll do me any good? cried my mother in a helpless manner. Oh, of course it will, said Miss Betsy. It's nothing but fancy. What do you call your girl? Oh, I don't know. That it'll be a, a girl yet, ma'am said my mother innocently. Ah, bless the baby, exclaimed Miss Betsy, unconsciously quoting the second sentiment of the pincushion in the drawer upstairs. But that was a weird connection to make. But applying it to my mother instead of me. I don't mean that. I mean, uh, you servant girl. Peggotty, said my mother. Peggotty, replied Miss Betsy with some indignation. Do you mean to say, child, that any human being has gone into a Christian church and got herself named Peggotty? It's her surname, said my mother, faintly. Mr. Copperfield called her by it because her Christian name was the same as mine. You hear, Peggotty, cried Miss Betsy, (laughs) opening the parlor door. Uh, Tea, your mistress is a little unwell. Uh, Don't dwaddle. Having issued this mandate with a much potentiality, uh, as she had been recognized authority in the house ever since it had been a house, and having looked out to confront the amazed Peggotty coming along the passage with a candle at the sound of a strange voice, Miss Betsy uh, shut the door again and sat down as before with her with her feet on the fender, her skirt of her dress uh, tucked up, and her hands folded on one knee. Well, that seems as good a time as any to bring you into the bedroom where we can enjoy the romance section of this podcast. Uh, Well, I'll tell you about a new upcoming romance book from Penguin Random House. This week, it's The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry by C.M. Wagner. Uh, It's available January 12th, 2021. Uh, sparks fly in this enchanting fantasy novel from the author of Unnatural Magic when a down-and-out fire witch and a young gentlewoman join forces against a deadly conspiracy. Delaria Wells, a petty con artist, an occasional thief, and partly educated fire witch, is behind on her rent in the city of Lescourt again. As she sees a wanted sign seeking fam- female persons, of uh, marital, martial or magical ability, I don't know why I can't read right now, to guard a lady of eh, some importance prior to the celebration of her marriage. Delhi fast-talks her way into the job and joins a team of highly peculiar women tasked with protecting their wealthy charge from unknown assassins. Well, Delhi quickly sets her sights on one of her companions, uh, the confident and well-bred Win Sinilium Suck. Forget it. And the job looks like nothing but romance and easy money until things take a deadly and undead turn. With the help of a bird-loving necromancer, a shape-shifting uh, schoolgirl, and an ill-tempered, reanimated mouse named Buttons, Delian and Wynn are determined to get the best of an adversary who wields a twisted magic and has friends in the highest of places. 
So think of that as you lie in, in your bed, warm and cozy. Just imagine me sliding up behind you with my lips close to your ear, whispering to you about the Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry. Eh, so if you want to read that, uh, go pre-order it or something. Back to the story. You were speaking about its being a girl, said Miss Betsy. I have no doubt it will be a girl. I have a presentiment that it must be a girl. Now, child, uh, from the moment of the birth of this girl, uh, perhaps a boy, my mother took the liberty of putting it, I tell you I have a presentiment that it must be a girl, returned Miss Betsy. Don't contradict. Uh, from the moment of this girl's birth, child, I intend to be her friend. I intend... Uh, to be her godmother, and I beg you'll call her Betsy Trotwood Copperfield. There must be no mistakes in life with this Betsy Trotwood. There must be no trifling with her affections, ah, poor dear. She must be well brought up and uh, well guarded from reposing any foolish confidences uh, where they are not deserved, and I must make that my care, in all caps. There was a twitch of Miss Betsy's head, after each of these sentences, as if her own old wrongs were working within her, and she repressed any plainer reference to them by strong constraint. So my mother suspected, at least, as she observed by her the, uh, the low glimmer of the fire, uh, too much scared by Miss Betsy, too uneasy in herself, and too subdued and bewildered altogether to observe anything very clearly, or, uh, or know what to, what to say. And, uh, "'Was David good to you, child?' asked Miss Betsy, when she had been silent for a little while, and these motions of her head had gradually ceased. "'Were you, were you comfortable together?' "'Oh, you're very happy,' said my mother. "'Mr. Copperfield was only too good to me.' "'What, he spoiled you, I suppose?' returned Miss Betsy. "'Oh, for being quite alone and dependent on myself in this rough world again. "'Yes, I fear he did indeed,' sobbed my mother.' Oh, well, don't cry, said Miss Betsy. You're not equally matched, child. If any two people can be equally matched, and so I ask the question. Uh, you were an orphan, uh, weren't you? Uh, yes. And, uh, and a governess? There was a nursery governess in a family where Mr. Copperfield came to visit. Mr. Copperfield uh, was very kind to me. Uh, took a great deal of notice of me <laughs> and paid me a, oh, a good deal of attention. And at last proposed to me, and I accepted him. And so we were married, said my mother simply. Ha, poor baby, mused Miss Betsy, with her frown still bent upon the fire. Uh, do, you, do you know anything? I beg your pardon, ma'am, faltered my mother. About keeping house, for instance, asked Miss Betsy. Oh, not much, I fear, returned my mother. Not so much as I could wish, but Mr. Copperfield was uh, teaching me. Much he knew about it himself, exclamation point, in parentheses, said Miss Betsy, uh, in a parentheses, it actually says, <laughs> said Miss Betsy in a parentheses. And I hope I should have improved, being very anxious to learn, and he very patient to teach me, if the great misfortune of his death, my mother broke down again here and could go no further. 
Uh, well, well, said Miss Betsy. I kept my housekeeping book regularly and balanced it with Mr. Copfield every night, uh, cried my mother in another burst of distress and breaking down again. Well, well, said Miss Betsy. Don't, don't cry anymore. And I am sure we have never had a word of difference respecting it, except when Mr. Copperfield objected to my threes and fives being too much like each other, or my putting curly tails on my sevens and nines resumed my mother in another burst, and breaking down eh, again. Oh, you'll make yourself ill, said Mrs. Betsy. And you know what? Uh, that will not be good either for you or for my goddaughter. Come, you mustn't do it. This argument had some share in quieting my mother, though her increasing indisposition had a larger one. There was an interval of silence, only broken by Miss Betsy's occasionally ejaculating, Ha! as she sat with her feet upon the fender. David had brought an annuity, oh my lord, I'm, I'm having strokes again, for himself with his money, I know, said she, by and by. Uh, what, did he, what did he do for you? Uh, Mr. Copperfield, said my mother, answering with some difficulty, was so considerate and good as to secure the reversion of a, a part of it for me. Yeah. How much? asked Miss Betsy. A uh, hundred and five pounds a year, said my mother. Ah, he might have done worse, uh, said my aunt. The word was appropriate to the moment. My mother was so much worse that Peggotty, coming in with a tea board and candles and seeing at a glance how ill she was, as Miss Betsy might have done sooner if there had been light enough, uh, conveyed her upstairs her own room with all speed and immediately dispatched Ham Peggotty, her nephew who had been for some days past secreted in the house, unknowns to my mother as a, uh, a special messenger in case of emergency, uh, to fetch a nurse and doctor. Those allied powers were considerably astonished when they arrived within a few minutes of each other to find an unknown lady of portentous appearance sitting before the fire with her bonnet tied over her left arm, stopping her ears with jeweler's cotton. Peggotty, knowing nothing about her, and my mother, uh, saying nothing about her, uh, was quite a mystery in the parlor, and the fact of her having a magazine of jeweler's cotton in her pocket and uh, sticking the, an article in her ears in that way did not detract from the solemnity of her presence. Uh, the doctor, having been upstairs and come down again, having satisfied himself, uh, I suppose, that there was a probability of this unknown lady and himself having to sit there uh, face to face uh, for some hours laid himself out to be polite and social. Ah, he was the meekest of his sex, the mildest of little men. He sidled in and out of the room to take up the less space. He walked as softly as a ghost in Hamlet, and, uh, and more slowly. He carried his head nah, on one side, partly in modest appreciation of himself, partly in modest appropriation I'm not even going to try and say that word. Of everybody else, it is nothing to say that he hadn't a word to throw at a dog. I couldn't have thrown a word at a mad dog. He might have offended him, uh, one gently, or at a half one, or a fragment of one, uh, for he spoke as slowly as he walked, but he wouldn't have been rude to him, and couldn't have been quick with him, for any earthly consideration. Uh, Mr. Chillip, looking mildly at my aunt, uh, with his head on one side, and making her a uh, little bow, uh, said, in allusion to the jeweler's cotton, as he softly touched his left ear, uh, so, uh, local irritation, ma'am? Uh, what? 
replied my aunt, pulling the cotton out of one ear, uh, like a cork. Mr. Chillip was so alarmed by her abruptness, as he told my mother afterwards, that it was a mercy he didn't lose his presence of mind. But he repeated sweetly, uh, Some local irritation, ma'am. Uh, nonsense, replied my aunt, and corked herself again at one blow. Yeah, Mr. Chillip could do nothing after this, uh, but sit and look at her uh, feebly as she sat and looked at the fire, until he was called upstairs again. After some quarter of an hour's absence, he returned. Well, said my aunt, uh, taking the cotton out of her nearest ear to him. Uh, well, ma'am, returned Mr. Chillip, we are uh, we are progressing uh, slowly, ma'am. Ba-ah-ah, said my aunt, with a perfect shake of the contemptuous interjection, and corked herself as before. Really, really, as Mr. Chillip told my mother, uh, he was almost shocked. Speaking in a professional point of view alone, he was almost shocked, but he sat and looked at her, notwithstanding, for nearly two hours. As she sat looking at the fire, until he was again called out after another absence, he returned again. Well, said my aunt, taking out the cotton on that side again. Uh, well, uh, ma'am, returned Mr. Chillip, we are, uh, we are progressing slowly, ma'am. Yeah, ah, uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> said my aunt with such a snarl at him that Mr. Chillip absolutely could not bear it. And it was really calculated to, to, uh, to break his spirit. He said afterwards uh, he preferred to go and sit upon the stairs in the dark in a strong draught until he was again sent for. Uh, Ham Peggotty, who went to the National School and was a very dragon at his catechism, uh, who may therefore be regarded as a credible witness, reported next day that happening to peep in at the parlor door an hour after this, uh, he was instantly described by Miss Betsy, uh, then walking to and fro in a state of agitation and pounced upon before he could make his escape, period. There uh, were now occasional sounds of, uh, of feet, and uh, voices overhead, which he inferred the cotton did not exclude, uh, from the circumstance of his evidently being clutched by the lady as a victim on whom to expand her superabundant education uh, when the sounds were loudest, that marching uh, him constantly up and down by the collar, as if he had been taking too much laudanum, uh, she at those times shook him, uh, rumpled his hair, made light of his linen, uh, stopped his ears as if uh, she confounded them uh, with her own, and otherwise tousled. <laughs> and maltreated him. This was in part confirmed by his aunt, who saw him at half-past twelve o'clock uh, soon after his release and affirmed uh, that he was then as red as I was. Well, uh, mild Mr. Chillip could not possibly bear malice at such a time. If at any time, he sidled into the parlor as soon as he was at liberty and said to my aunt, in his meekest manner. Oh, uh, well, ma'am, I am happy to congratulate you. Uh, uh, what a what a pawn, said my aunt sharply. Mr. Chillip fluttered again by the extreme severity of my aunt's manner, so he made her a little bow and gave her a little, a little smile to mollify her. Uh, mercy on the man, what is he doing, cried my aunt impatiently. Can he, can he speak? Be calm, my dear ma'am, said Mr. Chillip in his softest accents. There is no longer any occasion for uneasiness, ma'am. Be calm. It has since been considered almost a, a miracle that my aunt didn't shake him and shake what he had to say out of him. She only shook her own head at him, but in a, in a way that made him uh, quail. Well, ma'am, uh, resumed Mr. Chillip, 
as soon as he had the courage. I am uh, happy to congratulate you. Uh, All is now over, ma'am, and well over. Uh, During the five minutes or so that uh, Mr. Chillip devoted the delivery of this oration, my aunt eyed him narrowly. Uh, How is she? said my aunt, folding her arms with her bonnet still tied on one of them. Uh, well, ma'am, she, she will soon be quite comfortable, I hope, returned Mr. Chillip, uh, quite as comfortable as we can expect a young mother to be under these melancholy domestic circumstances. Uh, there cannot be any objection to your seeing her presently, ma'am. It may uh, do her good. And she, in all caps, how is she, in all caps again, said my aunt sharply. Uh, Mr. Chillip laid his head a little more to one side and looked at my aunt like, a, like an amiable bird. Uh, the baby, said my aunt. How's, how's she? Ma'am, returned Mr. Chillip. I apprehend you had known. It is a boy. Well, my aunt never said a word, but took her bonnet by the strings and in a manner of a, a sling, aimed a blow at Mr. Chillip's head uh, with it and put it on bent, walked out and never came back. She vanished like a discontented fairy or like one of those supernatural beings whom it was popularly supposed uh, I was entitled to see and never came back any more. No, I lay in my basket and my mother lay in her bed. But Betsy Trotwood Copperfield was forever in the land of dreams and shadows. Uh, She, tremendous region uh, whence I had so lately traveled, the light upon the window of our room shone out upon the earthly born and and all such travelers, and the mound above the ashes and the dust that once was he, without whom I had never been. Ah, let's retire to the smoking room and and go over uh, what we read, uh, basically, uh, David's mom, uh, lost a husband before David was born, which is a sad thing, and, uh, then, uh, aunt shows up and, uh, just berates the mom about how this thing is a girl, you're gonna name this girl after me, and just goes on and on and criticizes her, can you do anything on your own? Your husband's dead. Yeah, can you, can you even clean the house? Or are you too dumb to do that? And then the mom gets all upset. And uh, winds up uh, passing out. And the doctor comes, and I guess she just spits out the baby. And uh, this weird aunt that nobody likes just sits there waiting. Finally, the baby's born, finds out it's a boy and not a girl, and I guess that's the last you ever see of her again. Charles Dickens, uh, classically, everyone's got weird names. Mrs. Trottenwood. Uh, I forgot the other ones. Eh, we'll figure it out later. What's good about this? Uh... As far as books written during this time, these people seem a little more human, a little more comical, uh, not so uh, stuffy and plain, which has been a problem with pretty much most of everything I read on here. Uh, What sucks? Uh, As far as the story goes, nothing really sucks. Uh, The character of the aunt is pretty annoying. Uh, That's about it. So that's pretty good news. And what do we learn? Uh, We learn that overbearing people uh, are annoying. And, uh, I guess that's pretty much it. I know that when my mom remarried a guy, uh, he was friends with some weirdo down the street who would always walk up every day and just look in through their front window to see if they're sitting there watching TV. 
And then he would just uh, come in without knocking. And uh, if it was wintertime, he didn't want to take off his boots. So he'd grab a kitchen chair and sit there in the kitchen with his uh, boots on the linoleum and then just talk at uh, my mom's new husband for hours. He used to drive my mom nuts. What's this trashy guy who refuses to take off his boots? Why can't he just ring a doorbell? Why has he got to look through the window? So I definitely understand the the uh, the annoyance of an overbearing uh, weirdo. And that's pretty much all we got. Uh, had to get back in the swing of things. It's been a while since I've read anything out loud, and it feels awkward and stiff. Nothing like having a book that refuses to use periods. Just paragraph after paragraph. It's all commas. Uh, to get me trained in, uh, back to the back to getting used to reading out loud again. Well, with that, uh, we'll read chapter two uh, later on this week, and I uh, will see you then. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's one left.